Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. I don't know about you, but the word joy has always made me nervous. It's always struck me as kind of over the top, a bright yellow smiley face stuck desperately and unconvincingly on the tragic mask of a suffering world. To me, it brings to mind Tiny Tim, not the adorable Moppet of A Christmas Carol, but the novelty singer of the 1960s, hair all a scraggle, crooning tiptoe through the tulips in his grating falsetto. And to me, again, speaking personally, it, to me it carries more than a, the word joy carries more than a whiff of obligation, as if it were my spiritual and even religious duty to feel cheerful and peppy in willful disregard of the plain evidence before my eyes. It, it doesn't help, okay, you know, early trauma. It doesn't help that as a young folk singer in the 1980s, I had a stressful encounter with an only slightly older adult nicknamed TJ, which stood, she explained, for total joy. TJ was the wife of the producer of my out-of-town concert, and since neither they nor I could afford a hotel, this being folk music after all, I stayed overnight in their home. Living up to her nickname, TJ greeted me enthusiastically with a bright smile. And I wish, I, I, I dearly wish I could remember what provoked her, but somehow during my brief stay, despite my best efforts to be a, a good guest, something I did, whether by omission or commission, irked TJ mightily. And before I departed the next morning, she unloaded upon me a fury of criticism and reproach. Now, maybe I deserved it. I was young, and I could certainly have been inconsiderate, maybe even selfish. Sure, entirely possible. But the intensity of her rancor left me just a mite suspicious of the total joy thing. Fortunately, I overcame the temptation to suggest that perhaps a more suitable nickname might be PJ for partial joy, or even FJ for fake joy. Anyway, I resisted joy for a long time. But last year, under the cumulative weight of lingering pandemic, accelerating climate change, systemic racism, rising authoritarianism, and all the other afflictions I need not catalog further this morning. I felt the stirrings of a summons to joy. 
In my seven decades on this planet, I've always been a fairly positive, upbeat person endowed by grace or genetics with a positive emotional buoyancy that has not escaped by any means discouragement, but has averted prolonged melancholy. But I fear the coming decades will bring challenges unprecedented in human history. Challenges physical, social, ecological, and spiritual. I was tired, tired of giving away my happiness, my peace of mind, my life energy to the climate crisis, which my urgent activism might be able to influence in some small way, but obviously cannot possibly control. My effort to remain positive was already exhausting, and I began to doubt if my upbeat disposition and my toolkit of spiritual practices would be adequate to sustain me in the trying times to come. So I enrolled in a five-month, ten-session online course called Awakening Joy, taught by mindfulness teacher James Barris. The website promised the program would help me, quote, open to life with appreciation, resilience, and an open heart, incline the mind towards well-being, it invited, and, quote, gain deeper insight that will promote authentic joy. Incline the mind. I like that. It sounded doable. No guarantees, no artifice of affect required. Simply an intention, followed by action. While still skeptical of joy, I figured I could incline my mind in its direction. And I did. I was relieved that Barras immediately addressed the problem of the word joy. If the word joy is a stretch or a turnoff, he advised, see if there is another word that resonates more for you. Well-being, contentment, delight, happiness, aliveness, and substitute that word wherever you see or hear joy. Great, I thought, well-being. I can do well-being. Barras also anticipated my unease at even considering joy in the face of so much suffering. Remember, he said, your anger, sadness, and fear are contagious, and so are compassion, calm, and joy. Others are affected by the energy we put out into the world. I remembered that joy and suffering are not contradictions, but companions. Joy and woe are woven fine, declared the mystic poet William Blake. We can feel a great sadness for our broken world, writes Unitarian Universalist psychologist and activist Mary Pfeiffer, yet still taste the spring strawberries 
or enjoy the smell of rain. Our hearts shatter into pieces by for rights. Yet we hear the song of the cardinal and watch the exploding electricity of the thunderstorm. Joy is not a luxury of privilege. In the words of black feminist Toya Derricott, joy is an act of resistance. Activists Akaya Winwood and Rajasvani Bansali explain, reclaiming joy is transgressive. It allows us to step beyond the limits of rigid socialization and transactional habits. Joy is dangerous. It is a threat to systems of control and power over. Tracy Michael Lewis Gigots, author of Black Joy, says, I know that my joy stands defiant in the faces of those who try to dehumanize me. I know that my joy makes my oppressor big mad. Because more than stealing our rights, stealing our joy is their greatest, albeit subtlest, evil. Ensuring that we can't access our joy or that we have a fear or guilt around expressing it is probably the most insidious form white supremacy takes. Black joy is a kind of currency, and when we learn to spend it recklessly, the results are glorious. Just yesterday, yesterday my friend and neighbor, minister and activist Monika Bowman, a black woman raised in poverty in Louisiana, posted photographs of her smiling daughters on Facebook. With no need to name last week's Supreme Court decisions, Monika's text was brief. We will not allow this country to take our joy. Now, it turns out Emma Goldman never actually said, if I can't dance, I don't, I don't want to be in your revolution, which is really too bad, because how cool is that? So many wonderful quotes. <laughs> so few accurate attributions. But I would take this saying attributed to Emma Goldman one step further, if we do not dance, if we do not dance, the revolution will never come. Now, besides dancing, how do we cultivate joy in these difficult times or in any times at all? The first step, says James Barris, is to form an intention. Even though we all want to be happy, he points out, many of us don't put this at the center of our lives. The most important thing is simply deciding to incline your mind, that phrase again, incline your mind in the direction of greater well-being and keeping that intention in your consciousness. 
then you make a heartfelt decision to do what you can to bring it about. Now, that seemed kind of obvious, but it made me realize how hopeless I actually felt about joy. I didn't think joy was possible. And if I didn't think it was possible, how could I possibly experience it? So I formed an intention, a blessing to myself. In ascending order of ambition, may I be aware of well-being. May I be open, just open. May I be open to joy. May I be a radiant source of peace, compassion, and loving kindness. It takes practice, Paris told us, to notice what's not wrong. I mean, the entire news media are built around <laughs> telling us everything that's wrong, right? I mean, headline, things are not so bad. No. Headline, disaster, look out. <sighs> when we have a toothache, my teacher Thich Nhat Hanh used to say, we know that not having a toothache is a wonderful thing. Yet when we don't have a toothache, we're still not happy. A non-toothache is very pleasant, Thich Nhat Hanh said. We must remember our non-toothache. So Barras encouraged us to be alert for moments of well-being. Just moments of well-being. When things are, for the moment, for us, not so bad, maybe even okay. We know that there is so much suffering. But we can't dwell in that suffering 24, 7, 365. It doesn't help. Not us, nor those who suffer more than we. When we notice such a moment of well-being, Baras, Baras advises, we shouldn't just acknowledge it, check it off our list, and return to our previously scheduled programming. He asked us to really let it in and be present for a full 15 seconds. And to try to notice these moments of well-being six times a day. Well, I never made it to six times a day, but I still, I still do it several times a day just to notice, just to notice this. This is a moment of well-being right now. And when, when I acknowledge these moments of well-being, I ask myself another question. Well, could this moment of well-being, could, could this be a moment of joy? Yeah, and sometimes the answer is, nope, not actually. Nope. No joy, not now. But sometimes, 
Sometimes when the sky is a particular shade of blue or the leaves especially green or the sweetness of life, unmistakable. My answer is, yeah, 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 this, this is a moment of joy. And Barris also invites us to make a list of things that bring us joy. My list, when I made it, turned out to be pretty long. It included reading, meditation, movies, running, swimming, kayaking, singing, preaching and leading worship. Do those things more often, was Barra's brilliant, brilliant suggestion. Do things that drain your joy less often. The more I place my attention on joy, the more I notice others doing the same. I had a chance to ask scholar and activist Joanna Macy a question during an online Buddhism and ecology summit. This is what I asked her. I said, I know you practice active hope, as do I, but what are the feelings you're actually and honestly feeling these days? Without hesitation, she answered, I feel absolutely amazing. If I had ever known that this terrible situation for our planet, the threats to life on Earth was going to come, and my people, our people, each other, that we'd be faced by this, I would want so much to be there. I wouldn't want to miss it. This is my world. I love it deeply. It's a living planet. It's got incredible history. And I wouldn't ever want to miss this, what we're facing now. I feel from my own experience that a more intense love for life and readiness to risk everything for the sake of life will be born to us. And the powers of valor and self-discipline and passion and attention to life itself are going to be born to us in new ways. Of course it looks bleak. It always looks bleak before you have to grow something, a new capacity that's pushing us. This is a birthing time as well as a dying time, Joanna said. There are forces and capacities ready to birth inside each one of us if we keep our spunk and our courage My friend Margaret Bullitt Jonas, an Episcopal priest with a powerful vocation for creation care, preaches the joy in climate justice. Where's the joy? Margaret says, the joy is in living with purpose, in getting up every morning with gratefulness that we have another day to serve the Lord of life 
The joy is in knowing amid the uncertainty and heartbreak of such a precarious time that our decisions matter, our choices matter, and love matters. Love matters most of all. Love is what brought us here. Love is why we are here, and love will welcome us home at our journey's end. My friends, I'm not optimistic about the future, at least the near future. I, th I think we're in for some very, very tough times in the years to come. I have faith in the power of love, but I do not have confidence that we'll save the human species from our fear and folly in the time that we have for myself. All I can promise is whatever happens, I will show up with all the grace and courage and kindness and compassion that I can. Thousands of years ago, a Hebrew bard composed a psalm. Though it was likely written to celebrate the deliverance of the holy city of Jerusalem from armed attack, the future it envisioned seems eerily prescient. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. There is a river. Whether or not we believe in God, there is a river of love, of purpose, of joy. And as the mountains crumble and the waters rise, we must find that river. Dive deep into it and let its living waters Hold us, lift us up, and carry us home. Amen. And blessed be. And now for our benediction, I invite you to place your palms together in Namaste. I bow to the divine in you. The words of Leslie Takahashi, all that we have ever loved and all that we have ever been, stand with us on the brink of all we aspire to create, a deeper peace, a larger love, a more embracing hope, a deeper joy in this life we share. 
Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. Our worship has ended. Our service begins. Amen. And blessed be. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.